Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is a new day in Springfield, even if some of the old battle lines remain. This year, Illinois has a new governor with a new agenda. Democrat J.B. Pritzker talks of cooperation, but he also shows determination. So what are the Republicans to do in the legislature? We're going to ask the most influential leader. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin. He has been the GOP leader since 2013, but he's been in the legislature more or less since 1995. He did take some time off to make a run for the U.S. Senate, but lost to then and still incumbent Dick Durbin. He was an assistant attorney general and an assistant Cook County state's attorney before all that, and he's occasionally won praise from Democrats, including outgoing Mayor Rahm Emanuel, We will see if any of that is helping him right now. Jim Durkin, welcome back. Craig, thank you. It's great to be here. Um, The big issue before lawmakers right now is, of course, Governor Pritzker's proposal for a graduated income tax, which uh, the governor and Democrats are calling a fair tax. Uh, Republicans uh, have called it a middle-class tax. Uh, I would observe that you both can't be right. So... (laughs) What are people to think? What are people to think? Well, I would say let's look at the big picture of what is the fundamental problems that we have within Illinois' government, and why don't we address those first. One, our pension debacle. We have $140 billion of unfunded pension obligations, and that is where we should, that is what we should address first before we start talking about changing taxes. Uh, The governor... Uh, should put his focus on changing the Constitution to, for us, for not only the state systems, the city of Chicago's systems, and every local government's pension systems that are virtually underwater, uh, but they have an obligation to pay out to their annuitants. I want to be fair to the annuitants and the retirees, but the pension systems throughout the state of Illinois are going to drown out every other expense within state government. We are obligated to pay some $9.5 billion this year in our budget towards our pension system. So instead of this focus, which was part of a campaign promise by the governor saying that let's let the rich pay more and that 94% will, uh, won't pay any more, which is different because I think a few months ago it was that 94% would pay less, why don't we focus on the real issue at hand? And that's our pension problem. And I think that's the one issue that this administration and Democrat leaders refuse to accept. And to me, until we get past that, uh, there's no reason to be talking about changing the tax code because I can tell you about the tax code. Look at the other states have what's happened over there. When you make constitutional change from a flat tax to a graduated tax, it's easy to pick on the high wealth earners. And I will say this, $250,000 a year sounds like a lot. If you've got a family of six and you live in the suburbs, it doesn't go very far. But uh, those high wealth earners that Mr. Governor Pritzker likes to refer to, like himself, Ken Griffin, and Bruce Rauner, 
There's nothing in the Constitution that says that they have to remain in the state of Illinois as residents to pay taxes. And that's what happened in New York when Governor Cuomo said that I did that and I lost I had a $2.3 billion deficit because I taxed the rich. It's just that this is a, uh, to me, it's a uh, an unfair way of dealing with Illinois' problems. There's no guarantee that in three years that this money will ever solve the structural problems that we have. It's just a, another campaign promise. It polls well and it's popular, but at the end of the day, it doesn't solve the real problem at hand. But does the flat tax that we currently have uh, solve the problem? Is that fair uh, when we do have some income, you know, for the high earners that is not being uh, looked at? Well, if the Democrat leadership in Springfield would have used the money uh, from the last two tax increases over the past 10 years in a way in which they uh, made their case in both chambers, we may have not had this problem. Uh, I distinctly remember the arguments being made by the Democrat speakers that this is a time for us to pay our bills and this is going to put us back on a right track, but that money was spent on the first, first tax increase went towards paying the pension systems. Last one from two years ago, uh, all it did was pay for expansion of programs. So there is a spending problem, but also the revenue that we are currently bringing, on, bringing in is more than sufficient to meet our needs if the majority party could ever decide that we are going to have to rein in our spending. Let me just say this. I listened very carefully to the governor's budget address, as I always do. And I know that a budget address is a wish list. It always has been. The leaders make a decision on how this is going to actually play out, and the governor does have a hand in it. But when the governor says that we have to, we have problems with bills and whatnot, but then on top of it, asks for $1.2 billion in new spending, it does give me a cause, and it makes me pause and think, are, are, we, are we really truly trying to fix the problems or... Are we just trying to continue on with promises made during the campaigns to different constituencies by adding new programs in Illinois? So that's the things that go through my head and my caucus's head uh, when we when we hear these these grand plans. But it doesn't seem like there's a real commitment towards uh, addressing the spending and also being fair with taxpayers on how to reduce our debt. Is. Um is the pension problem going to be solved simply by uh, dealing with benefits? Uh, there are there are some who suggest uh, that the problem isn't the benefits, it's the debt, and simply changing uh, so that benefits for existing employees might be reduced uh, is not going to do what we need to do. Well, it's a little bit of both. and But when the governor says that he is going to shortchange the pension system this year to the tune of $900 million, that is what creates the major problems that we currently see. These are tactics and, and, and I would say, uh, gimmicks that were used for the last 20 years which have put these pension systems in such a fragile, precarious place by not fully funding them, shorting them, or in the past, uh, do something called pension holidays, which was a very popular thing under Rob Blagojevich. But that's part of it. But we also have a benefit system 
that we can no longer afford. People are living longer, which I think is wonderful. That's great. But 3% compounded cola adds up really quickly, and it's not something that we can afford. I wish we could. But I would like to figure out a way to solve this problem internally without having 95% of the Illinoisans who don't participate in this program be the ones who have to underwrite it. I wish that the, the unions who represent their members uh, would have an open mind towards working towards a resolution that's going to put the systems in a in a uh, a good trajectory where they will be funded at a decent level as opposed to this 30 to 40 percent that we're seeing right now that's just not right but it's not we, we got to that point because of i will say and i hate to say it but the benefit systems are are no longer ones which we can afford and also because of the legislature's recklessness and also uh with with Failure to fully fund these systems at a level to maintain, uh, you know, a, 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 a good, uh, where they can be maintained at a good level to ensure that beneficiaries will be paid out, but they will be structurally sound where we don't have to have these types of conversations. Uh, let's look at the, uh, the, the, the big picture for a couple of seconds more, because whenever Governor Pritzker is asked about this kind of stuff, He says, yeah, but where is the Republican plan? Where, you know, if somebody wants to offer another plan, uh, go ahead. But he says the Republicans haven't come up with another plan. He's got 74 votes in the House. He's got a supermajority in the Senate. Uh, To me, that's a punt. Come up with a plan that doesn't ask for more, more tax dollars out of Illinois citizens and Illinois businesses. And here's my plan. Fix the pension systems. Fix the workmen's compensation system. Change the uh, the way in which we draw we we we, we draw legislative maps. Uh, don't continue to harass businesses, large and small, in the state of Illinois. Let them operate without having the legislature micromanage their businesses. That's how you. That's our plan. It's real simple. But I will say this. How about this? Here's another one. Here's a novel concept. Why don't we do something with our property tax system? Everybody likes to talk a big game in the legislature about how they're going to be able to rein in property taxes. But it's just been a, a bait and switch in the House and the Senate for the past five or six years in which they pass one body passes one pension, I mean, one property tax freeze bill, and then the other one sends another one over. But they both die in both chambers. But, of course, the Democrats in the House and the Senate send press releases out about how they're for the property tax uh, payers. But nothing gets done. They've run this building, that building, for the last many years in, in the majority. None of this gets done. Everybody talks about property tax relief. Everybody says, how come we're driving jobs out of the state of Illinois? Because what we're doing is we're, we're making it easy for our employers to leave Illinois. When you, when you tell them that we're going to force you to pay $15 an hour, no matter where in the state of Illinois, whether it's a private employer and whether it's a public employer, or even worse, a nonprofit organization who is now going to have to pay $15 an hour. It's just not right. And this, that's what I'm, our plan is. Our plan is real simple. Fix our, our business, uh, uh, the way in which we treat businesses, business reforms, create jobs, property tax relief. But first and foremost, and the reason I raised the pensions, the pension a problem with our pensions is the single worst and greatest problem we have in the state of Illinois. It has been for the last 10 years. It continues. No one wants to do anything about it. I have advocated for the John Cullerton model from two years ago doesn't seem like there's an appetite to take it up again. If not, let's change the Constitution once and for all. 
let's save the state, let's save these systems, and also ensure that the defined benefit that was promised to these employees will be there. One of the things that seems to me is, is that none of these issues exist in a vacuum. For example, if we're talking about property taxes, we're talking about school funding, because if anybody looks at their property tax bill, usually the by far the biggest chunk of it is going to the local schools. And if you change anything, if you cut property taxes, if you're, that means you could be cutting revenue. And, you know, it's like you squeeze a balloon at one end, it pops out at another. How do you balance all of those things so that you get enough school funding so that the local localities don't have to raise the property taxes that the state tried to lower? This is a very complicated situation, and we went through a school funding reform bill two years ago. Uh, and our goal is to ensure that the schools that have the, the least are the ones that will benefit. It's a moral obligation. It's a legal obligation uh, for me to ensure that the kids who live three miles north of me and three miles east of me have a shot at getting a good education, which they don't right now. So that's first and foremost is most important thing for me. But all I can say, Craig, is I'm a taxpayer too, as are you. I look at my tax bill. I love my schools, but you know what? At some point, things got to slow down. And uh, you can you can operate and still run a first-class uh, educational program in the suburbs and also different parts of the state if there's going to be some speed bumps on the way in which property taxes are assessed uh, and how it returns back to the school. So I'm I've had this, this has been a ongoing debate and argument. You can't do this. You can't do this. But I'm like, why do you just, I mean, I look at how these tax rates are, are, are bump up on a yearly basis. Uh, and it just seems like that's the only place that in society that there's no one who can say, slow down, give us an explanation. Or why don't you just hold on, freeze it for a little bit and let's see how things go. But you know, something's going to have to change. I mean, this is, and this is, uh, I mean, add this to the spending, to, spending, spending is going to have to change. Of course it is. This is the reason why people are leaving the state. They're leaving the state because of taxes. It's not only the income taxes, property taxes, and also just this lack of commitment towards the business community. And that's, to me, all three of those contribute to the fundamental problems that we have in the state and also why on a almost daily basis I have friends and strangers come up to me and said that we've given up. We're leaving. And that's just, I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. It's a reality. We are losing people and this lack of confidence in government, mainly in Springfield. And then we're losing people across the state. I think the last study showed that this is happening in, in all areas. of the Well, state. it's just not natural attrition because of retirement. It is because that families are not, feel that they should be responsible for the big check that is going to be asked of them in a few years because we continue to look at taxpayers as the resolve to all of our problems as opposed to fixing the problems that we could do internally in Springfield. And I just may give you a couple examples. I will tell you this, if people say that we're serious about reforming our pension system, I think people would say, thank gosh, that we actually have a, a legislature that's doing the right thing. Let's go, let's go to the constitution. Let's change that constitution. Let's save the state from getting swallowed up by our public pensions where every, every, every dollar will is going to be used to support our public pension systems as, it go, as opposed to going to healthcare, going to public safety, going to transportation. But that is what Illinois is turning into as a pension state. 
And if you talk to local governments, they are at a brink. They're they're at a, at a breaking point because their 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 public pensions are overwhelming the the services that they're supposed to provide, and they just can't keep up with the pace. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Illinois House Republican leader Jim Durkin of Western Springs. We will continue our conversation in just a minute after this message. Did you know that you can use digital advertising to precisely target only registered voters? You can further target by precinct, specific voting history, or even by a person's propensity to vote. While most digital marketers target only by geography, the data experts at SinFrontiris understand much more is possible and vastly more effective. Not only are we experienced digital marketers, but we wrote one of the most powerful, customized voter databases on the market. At SinFrontiris, we pride ourselves on creating data-driven strategies that win elections. We start with an in-depth analysis and then create plans that leverage the most impactful tools to reach and engage voters. When campaigns need the best data geeks, they turn to SinFrontiras. So should you. This is Jason Bauman from SinFrontiras Media. I want to invite you to visit WeWinInIllinois.com to learn how we can help you leverage digital, data, and effective messaging to win your next election. Okay, let's talk about uh, relationships in Springfield uh, because things are changing. uh, And we'll talk about some other relationships too. But first, uh, in Springfield... You know, a year ago, Bruce Rauner seemed kind of single-minded. He could switch directions just as issues seemed to be about resolved. So I want to ask, how are things going in general with J.B. Pritzker? It's, it, there's definitely a distinction between uh, Governor Rauner and also Governor Pritzker. Uh, I support, and I did support Governor Rauner. I consider him a friend. We worked uh, together uh, to solve some major issues. We stopped a lot of bad things happening. Uh, Different personality from Governor Pritzker. Uh, Governor Pritzker is, I would say, is a little more open with the members, and uh, um, and I will say that my conversations and meetings with him have been pleasant. And I do believe when I make recommendations and I talk to him about matters, he takes it to heart. And uh, as Governor Rauner did with me, so uh, I, I will say this: that uh, I want the state to succeed, and for the state to succeed, we need a governor to succeed. It's just how we get there and how we define success is what I think that we sometimes that we have differences of opinion. But uh, I told the governor ahead of time that, you know, there's going to be some situations that I'm just not going to be able to be supporting. But I want you to know that in advance. I want the two of us to be able to make sure that we have open communication, that there's no surprises about where we're going to be. And that's how we're going to be able to work together well. And that's the way it's been. So, and I've been very clear with him about issues regarding the constitutional amendment that he's seeking to change with uh, the income tax. And I said that not only I'm not supporting it, I'm going to do everything I can to defeat it, but every one of the Republicans in the House are against it as well. So let's move on from that. Don't expect any support from us. But the fact is, the fact that we have this type of communication, I think, is good and that uh, he knows that I have a responsibility to my constituency, but also to my, uh, 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 my caucus. And there's going to be issues independent of just this constitutional amendment that we're going to have to work on. We have a budget that we have to negotiate by the end of May that I've told them that I'm willing to work with them on. But, you know, it doesn't mean that we're going to support it at the end of the day, but I want to be able to work with them. And I just gave them the example of the previous year that it was the four leaders in the caucus who were able to negotiate a budget that was as good a budget we've had in a long time. But it was negotiated between the four, four caucuses and the governor, and we got it done. And I think we can get it done this year, too. 
And and I was going to ask about that. It is it has seemed that the atmosphere, the the cooperation has been better among the four leaders than perhaps sometimes in the past. And and frankly, you were credited with uh, the uh, you know for helping to forge the compromise on school funding. Right. Uh, so is that relationship one among you? that is going to serve serve well uh, going forward? I mean, is it still that good? Well, you know, we've only met two times, and I hope we meet a little bit more in the month of May as we move forward. Uh, the meetings that we've had so far with Governor Pritzker and the four leaders have been productive, and uh, uh, the meetings in the past with Governor Rauner and the four leaders were a little icy, uh, so to speak, and but for a few times, a lot wasn't accomplished. So, uh, But this is a time for us like it's the first year of a new governor. We have monumental problems. We need to just put some of the partisan differences aside, and we can do that. The four of us can. Uh, everybody needs to understand that the priorities of my caucus and also our constituents are just as important as the Democrats, as long as they acknowledge that. And as they acknowledge and they respect the priorities uh, of what we believe in, then they will have 100% cooperation with us, that meaning the governor and also the speaker and the president of the Senate. That's how I play and that's how I operate. I always have respect my priorities, and I will respect you, yours, and your members, and we will find a way to be able to bridge, uh, reconcile, whatever the, ever, whatever comes up in between. Uh, I do want to ask about another relationship, uh, one that uh, people may not know even existed, and that's uh, with the new or incoming Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, you actually have a bit of a relationship with her. Uh, you or your uh, brother actually worked with uh, with Lori Lightfoot. In fact, she worked for him in the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's correct. Um, you know, I, have a, I have many brothers. I have seven brothers, and five of us are practicing lawyers in the city. Of Sh- seven brothers, five of us are attorneys in the city, and we've we know a lot of people. But my brother, a couple of my older brothers, specifically my brother Tom, who's now a United States District Court, and Lori have been friends for a number of years, going back to the U.S. Attorney's Office, but also... After that, at Mayor Brown at the uh, it's a international law firm in the city of Chicago. And also uh, a little uh, fact is that they've shared White Sox tickets for a number of years. So the Lightfoots and Durkins have been friends for a long time. How good for her was it that she came down to Springfield is, frankly, one of the very first things she did. I complimented her for that. It's important that the mayor uh, develops a relationship, not just with just the leaders in, in Chicago, but Chicago relies upon Springfield significantly. And a lot of people in Springfield, particularly south of I-80, kind of look at the Chicago mayor and Chicago government as a little bit separate. They, there's some animosity. There's always been some talk about Chicago separating from the state of Illinois, and that's all rhetoric. But a Chicago mayor needs to be able to talk to downstate members and explain what, she has, what a mayor needs to do but also to look to these members in the face and say that, you know what, my problems are the same as yours. And we can probably find more things in common than not, but I'm a person who's approachable and that I'm going to listen to you because I, you know, a mayor does have influence in Springfield. So the fact that she came down here uh, and met with all members in both the House and the Senate speaks very good about how she plans to move forward to work with the legislature, and I give her uh, great credit for that. and, you know, it's, it's we haven't had, I would say that the governor, I mean, mayors usually don't come down. 
And uh, we haven't seen that, as you said earlier. Yes, Rahm Emanuel, I don't know if he ever came down there. Um, I can't recall, uh, but I've, you know, I live in the suburbs, and whether it's Lori Lightfoot or whoever was going to be the mayor, I was going to work with them. I understand the value of Chicago to the state of Illinois. As Chicago goes, Illinois goes. And I want Chicago to succeed. I want Chicago to continue to be this international destination. I want Chicago to be a safe city for not only my constituents, but everybody who lives in the city, but also for the visitors who are coming here to spend millions and millions of dollars every year. And that is what Chicago is about. We, we are a place for entertainment. This is where we send our kids on weekends. This is where we go and bring our families and we bring our friends to entertain, whether it's dinner or the multiple options and just the incredible things we have. So Chicago means so much towards this state that I'm going to do everything I can to help this mayor on issues that I think are, are related to public safety, also on how they're going to be able to figure out their uh, work with them on their pension systems. they got major problems with their pension systems, but also how to help them with their uh, public education. I, I believe in Chicago, and I want kids to succeed in Chicago. I don't want to see them go down this path that I've seen for decades, and that's just unfortunate. So uh, their problems are uh, institutional. They're inherent. They need Springfield, and I plan to work with Chicago. Uh, and I'm glad I, I'll be able to work with uh, Mayor-elect Lightfoot. I've got a relationship with her, and uh, uh, you know I'm going to do everything I can to help her. But as I said earlier, I'm going to help the Democrats, the mayor, as long as they are able to help Republicans on issues that are important to us as well. It's a two-way street. Well, and let's talk about an issue that is important uh, to both sides in various ways, and that's the issue of uh, gun violence. Um, what can be done about the gun violence in Chicago, and I also think we should probably look at the kind of workplace violence that we saw in Aurora and and that can seemingly happen anywhere. Are there things that could be done or passed in Springfield? There's only so much that we can do in Springfield. Um, I, I, I was a supporter of the Gun Dealer Licensing Act a year ago because of my just abject dissatisfaction and frustration with gun violence that goes on in the city of Chicago and also in different parts of the state of Illinois. If this is a way in which it could at least slow down the trafficking of firearms to the wrong people, you know, I, I, I went with the side of safety. Uh, there's only so much we can do because a lot of this deals with mental health. You can't, you can't legislate someone to go to their doctor to get prescriptions, to seek therapy. We just can't legislate that. We got a bit... We have to, I don't know how we can look in the crystal ball and see whether or not this person is going to pose a danger to us other than the ways which we typically know based on their background and also uh, all the other things that we traditionally use to, to determine whether or not somebody should have access to a firearm. Um, I always think that there's a reasonable way of going forward. There obviously is a split between Chicago and the suburbs and downstate Illinois about how far we can go with the Second Amendment. But I do believe the issue, what we're looking at right now, is FOID firearms identification card reform, and that is currently within a negotiation process. I'm going to take a, you know, I have members of my caucus who are part of a working group to see whether or not we could improve the FOID system to keep, at least allow for law enforcement to be aware of when somebody should not be in possession of firearms. And if their FOID card has been revoked for reasons other than just forgetting and missing a deadline, but for perhaps mental health, criminal background, or some type of domestic abuse. Those are the things that police should be more aware of. How we get there is never easy, but I will continue to work and do more to help try to slow down the, these tragedies that we see day in and day out 
uh, whether it's isolated in a workplace, but also we just had a, a massive shootings in Chicago over the weekend. So I worked with, uh, just two years ago, with the Attorney General, uh, uh, he was the state senator at that time, Kwame Raul, in which we changed the firearm laws in Chicago for repeat offenders, a bill that is was stopped for a number of years. And I'm hopeful within the next year we'll see the fruits of our labor that these multi, these people, these, these gangbangers and troublemakers who are using firearms uh, for the wrong reasons are going to be held accountable. So uh, I keep an open mind, and it's a continuing problem, one in which we can only do so much, but I'm prepared to do so much, and if there's more, I'm glad to do it. This is probably going to have to be a really short answer, like 10 seconds, but can any kind of expansion of background checks be passed down there? Of course. Of course, there can be. Okay. But, we, we, but there are differencing, differences of opinion when it comes to how far we can go to invade the privacy of individuals and people who believe that the Second Amendment uh, stands up against government intruding too far into individuals' lives and also who they are. That's the final word. Thank you, House Republican Leader Jim Durkin, for spending this half hour with us. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You'll also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.